Eddie has, great. Let's give Eddie a hand. Eddie's got a girlfriend, and so... Uh, But, uh, yeah, I don't know where that came from. But um, we're talking about what does it look like to be active? What does it look like to live this thing out? What does it look like for us to participate and really go after God and to live out his purpose in our lives? It's very easy for us to hear and at a surface level understand that God has a plan But it's a whole nother thing for us to walk in what he's called us to do. And we want to be the kind of people who hear and understand who God is, who he says that we are, but that we would actually live according to what he says. My dad used to say, he used to call me T-Hammer when I was a kid, played sports. T-Hammer and, uh, you know, slugger and things like that when it, when in reference to my my baseballing and things like that. The only problem was, is I was not living in accordance with that. I was lazy. I didn't care. I liked to pretend I was a really, like a big baseball guy. But there's a reason I quit after middle school when baseball started to actually get competitive. Is when I said, it's my time to bow out. I've done all I can thus far. It's now the next generation's time to stand on my shoulders. It's like Elijah and Elisha. You know, Elisha got the double portion. Everyone else got the double portion of me, a.k.a. I was just not that good. And I want to be the kind of person who... When I hear what God says about me, that I live in accordance with what he says, not like it's this thing I have to match up to, but it's actually from a place of understanding who he created me to be. Because when God says something about you, you're not living for something, you're living from something. So if God says that you're loved, you're not living to earn his love. You're living from a place of already having received his love. Does it make sense? You're you're not with me tonight. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay, there we go. So when God says that you are more than a conqueror, I'm not living to conquer. I'm living already in victory because God has already given it to me. So anything that we do is living from a place of who God says we are, not in a way that earns what he says that we are. It's a vicious cycle to get caught into. Where God says something about you and you spend your whole life like a hamster in a ball trying to get somewhere that you'll never get to because you think that there's something you can do to earn God's approval and his plan for your life. And guess what? You can't. He's already given it to you. It's already in you. You were created with it. And there's nothing you can do to outrun it. So you might be here and you might be rolling your eyes at the whole God thing. And you might say, this isn't for me. I'm here for the chicas. And guess what? You can be here for the wrong reason, but it does not change the purpose that God placed in you before you ever came here. I don't think anybody got that. You missing or getting God's purpose for your life 
has nothing to do with whether or not God put it in you. It's already in you. God placed it in you, and whether you like it or not, you cannot outrun God's purpose for your life. It is in you. The gifts and the callings and the the initiative and the purpose of God was in you before you ever existed on this earth, and it will outlast you. So guess what? You might as well just sit up straight and say, okay, God, I give in. I'm going to go after you because I know that your plan is better than mine. So Mark, chapter 16, and I keep getting notifications on my iPad and I can't open my note. There we go. Uh, Mark, chapter 16, we're going to read in verse 15. And it says this, and this is Jesus' kind of last little bit of moments on earth before he goes back up to heaven. He's already died and been resurrected and and he comes back, and he's like, you disciples, you suck. Your faith, your faith is wuss. It's about time you get with the progue, short for program. It's time. It's time. He said to them, Mark 16 and verse 15, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They'll pick up snakes with their hands. I do not recommend this part. And when they drink deadly poison, don't. Don't do that. But it won't hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. Here's what, here's what he's saying. He's not necessarily limiting the works that the Jesus people will do to being able to drink poison and laugh about it because I'm invincible. He's not saying that. Although, if there were a situation that because of your faith that you were forced to drink poison, kind of like my parents did to me when they made me drink Tabasco sauce if I said a bad word. I'm still hurt by it. I can still smell it across a restaurant. Do not open Tabasco sauce in my presence. It will hurt me. But he's not, he's not necessarily trying to lock onto that so much as he's saying, when, when you're in Christ, depression gets scared of you. You don't, get to, you don't get scared of depression. You don't get scared of fear. You don't get scared of, of anxiety or mental issues or internal struggles, you don't get scared of them. It flips the script. Those things get scared of you because you now have the authority over it. So when you're in Jesus, the authority structure changes. Those things used to dictate how you lived, how you thought, how you saw yourself, but now it flips the script. Now those things are all afraid of you because they know the power that is in you because of Jesus. So when you're in Jesus, he says, when you do that, he's like, these signs will accompany those who believe. You'll have a new understanding. You won't fear what others say or do. It, it just, it switches the, the, the structure and it puts you now in an authority place because of who Jesus is in you. You're going to bring life everywhere you go. You're going to lift people. You're going to infuse purpose into your school. Some of you think, why am I at my school? Why am I in my family? Don't for a second think that you're there by accident. God placed you where you are in your sphere 
for a reason. Now, you can run from that as long as you want, but make no mistake, you are where you're at for a reason, and you might as well buck up and say, okay, God, I'm ready to be used by you. I'm done running. I'm, al- I'm going to allow you to use me in my sphere, in my place, in my school, with my teachers, with my friends, in my family, at my workplace, because I know that you have a plan and a purpose for my life. Is anybody with me tonight? If you're taking notes, which I encourage you to do, you can write down this title. TikTok, tell them. And you might be saying, Taylor, why'd you call it TikTok, tell them? Because I hate TikTok and I wanted to put it in a message. And I will say nothing else about TikTok tonight other than Vine's not dead, TikTok is dying, Vine is going to come back, and I will be at the forefront of it. Can I get an Amen. If anybody followed me on Vine, it, was the, it made your day every time you watched it. <laughs> My Revine game was on point. TikTok, tell them. TikTok, tell them. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads and pray with me one more time this evening? God, thank you so much for your goodness, for your love, for your mercy, um, that you make us new. And we're here tonight. Um, not living for that, but living from it. Let us always be the kind of people who remember who you are in us, what you've done for us, that it would change how we live. In Jesus' name, everyone said? Amen. Amen. You, ever, uh, you ever asked someone to relay a message for you? Anyone? I, I remember I used to, uh, I, when I was in Bible college, I would stay up late studying many times uh, for this one particular class called Church History. In Church History, there were a lot of facts that you had to memorize. There were um, There were tests that were three or four hundred questions, some of which were essay, and some of which you had to know the exact date of something, and, and these were brutal tests. And so me and my friend uh, Johnny and Ashish, we would stay up all night many times before these tests, and each time I would say, Ashish, can you, can you wake me up when you get up tomorrow? Ashish was the responsible one. I was the one who had a really hard time waking up in the morning. And so many times, this is one of many stories where this happened, where we go to bed at about 4.35 a.m., class is at 7, and we have to take this test. we got to be ready. Now, I, I remember this one particular time, me and Johnny and Ashish were up late, and we're ready to go to bed. We're like, all right, all right. And we knew Ashish would get up and have no problem. And so uh, Johnny is sleeping in my room, and Ashish goes back to his room, and uh, I, I, told, I told Ashish, hey, in the morning when you get up, will you wake me up? Now, usually what I would do, par for the course, is I would lay on the floor with my head sticking out the door so that when people would walk by down the hallway, that they would wake me up. But I got tired of doing that because they would kick me in the head or drop things or every time someone would open the bathroom, it would wake me up and then I'd, I would lose the sleep. So I'm like, Ashish, you got to wake me up. Well, he gets up way early, and he decides to be a funny guy and tell his roommate, Isaiah, hey, you got to go wake Taylor up. Um, but the, the thing is, is Isaiah was half asleep when Ashish told him to wake me up. So he had a message. He, he goes to Isaiah. He's like, hey, dude, when you get up, will you wake Taylor up? He's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. He goes back to sleep. I wake up an hour after the test has already been completed. 
And I look at my clock and I jump out of bed and I start screaming Ashish's name. Ashish, what? I'm, I'm so angry. I'm mad. I'm frustrated. I'm, I'm, I'm just a little CO'd. And, and I'm so, no one got the reference. It's okay. Napoleon Dynamite. But I, I'm just, I'm ticked off. I'm, I'm bummed. I'm frustrated. I'm like, bro, what the heck happened? He's like, dude, I told Isaiah to wake you up. He didn't wake you up? I was like, no, I told you to wake me up. And he said, he had the audacity to say, it's your job to wake yourself up. Why are you waiting on me to wake you up? I said, well, I gave you that assignment, Ashish, and we're friends. We help each other out. You're supposed to wake me up. Truth is, he's, he had a message. You could argue I had a message. Passed it on to someone. He passes it on to another person who drops the message. He fails to relay the message that had been given to him, and what needed to happen was unable to happen. He was entrusted with a message, but he shifted the blame. You ever done that? You had something in your hands, but you blamed somebody else for why you didn't accomplish what you were supposed to? See, the truth is, is you and I have all been entrusted with a message. See, Jesus could have said, hey, dude, People, disciples, um, me followers. You ever wondered, like, did Jesus call Jesus followers me followers? You know what I mean? Like, you ever thought about that kind of stuff? That's what keeps me up at night. You know? Hey, we're all me followers here. You know, I, I would love to be able to say it. Okay, anyways. So he says, hey, me followers, uh, I've got this message, and I want you to sit in a circle and watch me deliver it. He could have said that. I mean, he could have, I was talking to someone the other day, he could have just zapped and made all of us just better. Perfect, without sin, with nothing to improve on. We all get to go straight to heaven. We're all good to go, and no other bad thing ever happens. And there are times where I wish Jesus would have done this. But in reality, he did not do that. He didn't say, hey, guys, I've got this message, and I want you to stand back and watch me tell people about me. I've got this, I've got this thing, and uh, you need to tell people, or else I'm going to smite you down to hell, and you're, you're screwed for life. He didn't do that either. He said, hey, I have a message, and it's really important, and it's all about me. But here's the thing. I'm giving it to you. Jesus did not come to this earth simply to attract people unto himself and then make them like a magnet stick to him. Now, here's what I know, and this is what we said during worship. It is literally always, always has been, is, and always will be about Jesus. But Jesus did not entrust himself with the message. He entrusted you and me with the message. He gave us the message. 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 5 says that he's given us the message of reconciliation. We've been reconciled to God. Now, as Christ's ambassadors, he's given us the ministry of doing the same thing that he did. In other words, he came for a blip. He showed his disciples what to do. And then he said, deuces, guys. I'm out, but don't worry. The Holy Spirit's going to help you. And now you have got a stewardship of this message. My message to us tonight is simply this. You 
and me, we have been entrusted with a message. The question is, are we sitting on it or are we passing it out? Are we sitting on it or are we passing it out? Jesus said, go. Everybody say go. I have four simple thoughts to you, for you tonight. I'm going to give them to you right now. Four thoughts. Number one, there's good news. Number two, it's for everyone. Number three, we're the ushers. Number four, the proof is in the pudding. I'll give them to you again. There's good news. It's for everyone. We're the ushers, and the proof is in the pudding. Number one, there's good news. There is good news. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel or the good news to all creation. That word gospel literally means good news, but this is the the caveat to it. It means good news that is intrinsically attached to a reward. Remember one time, Noel and I, when we were brand new youth pastors, and uh, uh, we, we used to like to do more games that were just for pure fun of torturing people. Like we did wasabi covered corn on the cob. I still remember the tears. I remember the guy getting it in his fingers, but then he had an itch in his eye. And he was just, his whole face was, was purple, and it was just, it was amazing. It was still, it was just the best. His mom complained to me after. They're still in our church today, by God's grace. But I, I remember, I remember with this game, it was so fun. We learned it off of a movie, but what you do is you get five people to line up, and they don't know it. They all have to be wearing socks, but they don't know it. But what you do is, is it's, a, it's, a, it's a soda drinking contest. They all have a soda. And you're like, on your market set, wait, 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 wait. We, we got we to gotta sweeten it up. Sweeten. Use that word loosely. And you take off your shoe. You put your sock over the soda can. And what you have to do is you have to drink it through your sock. So we say, on your market set, wait, wait. And we, we pause one more time. And here's the, here's the fun of it. You find people who you know just came from, like, football practice with dirty feet. And what, here's the deal, is you get, you get like some middle school girl who really cares, you know what I mean, and you put her right next to the guy who literally does not care whatsoever, and then what you do is on the last second, you make them pass their soda can down. So now you have to drink your soda through somebody else's dirty sock. It is the best game ever. So I remember we did this, we did this game. We did this game, it was the best, and we said, we need some volunteers who wants to play a game for a prize. Now, here's the thing. This is why I don't do games very often, because I usually forget a prize, and then in the moment, I just say, you're going to get a prize, and I'll make it up. It's like you get a high five from me, or you get, uh, you get a can of soda. It's a really weak sauce prize, but it's what I do, because I forget to give prizes, hence why I don't even think about games anymore. And so, we do this game. And you've got this guy who's drinking the nastiest sock potion ever. And he's just going, and he guzzles it, and he wins. And he's like, yeah, but he knows that he's about to win something. He's like, what's my prize? And we just gave him another soda can that somebody else had been drinking through because there was no prize. And I remember he was so disappointed because what he did was he did something to earn something. But then there was no actual reward. Here's the thing about the good news of Jesus. It's the opposite of that. You can't earn anything, but simply by believing, you get a reward. This is the best part of the good news. The good news is not just a news article. 
It is actually something that when you read it, when you hear it, when you get it in you, there's an automatic reward that happens that has nothing to do with what you've done. It is simply given to you free as a gift. This is the good news. Your sins are forgiven. Your past does not count against you. Your future, which once was dark, is now bright because of Jesus. You can actually walk in freedom. You don't have to be held down by your mistakes and your failures and your tendencies and everything that your propensities are and all of the things that you lean towards that take you out. Those are no longer things that have to hold you down. And in the opposite, they actually, actually get to be a part of your testimony. This is the good news. Are you thankful tonight that your sins are forgiven? <coughs> I'm thankful that I'm made new, that I'm clean, that I'm whole, that my past, it is not actually something that counts against me, but it is simply a badge of honor that says I was dead in my sins, but Jesus has made me alive because of him. I'm thankful for that. This is the good news. There's a prize, there's a reward there's a reward attached to it. But the moment that you believe, depression doesn't have to rule your life anymore. That Jesus loves you. That his name is attached to his identity that means God with us. That wherever you go, if you are in the depths of the worst place of your life, that there God sits with you. He is with you. He's present. He's in you. He's for you. You have a future. This is the good news. Raise your hand if you're thankful tonight that there's good news. See, there's good news, but it's not just for you. Number two is it's for everyone. The good news is for everyone. It says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. See, there's no place and no person that is off limits to the good news. There were times in old, old days where news was kind of a privileged thing. Reading and literature and the way to stay current, you had to find yourself with a certain kind of um, equity. You had to find yourself in a certain place and in society. And if you were outside of that, then you didn't find yourself hearing those things until it was two or three degrees removed. Because you weren't privy to the information. You didn't, you didn't deserve to be in the room where it was being spoken about. And here's the thing. Sometimes we like to make the good news for the people who help us make the good news look good. So we, we like to create circles where everyone on the outside wishes that they could be on the inside where the good news is received and known. But here's what Jesus came to do. He came to tell us good news, but he said, the good news is for the poor and the rich. The good news is for the broken and the fixed. The good news is for the messed up and the good. The good news is for the hurting and the healed. The good news is for every single person, whether they are near or they are far. The good news is for your dad who may have abused you. Your good, the good news is for that teacher who spoke down about you and, and made you feel so small. The good news is for that person who used to gossip about you. The good news is for the person who on the outside looks like they've got everything together, but you know on the 
the inside, they are in turmoil. The good news is for them. The good news is for everyone in every place. There is no person that is exempt from the good news about Jesus Christ. In ninth grade, I was an average guy. I was friends with a lot of people. I'll invite the band to come forward. Um, but I wasn't popular. I was a little bit mousy. I've obviously gained a lot of muscle since then. But there's a guy who happens to be here tonight. Didn't plan on him being here tonight. But he, he's the kind of person who used to, he used to bug me, he used to poke at me. He used to make fun of me for being a Christian. Make fun of the music I used to listen to. Um, he would get in my business. He just didn't like me. He, he was a self-proclaimed atheist. He didn't believe in God. Didn't know God. He and his girlfriend lived in a way that would be contrary to the plan of God. I won't go into detail about his story because that's not mine to tell. But if there was a type of person that if you would have asked me, Taylor, who's the type of person who's not likely, like if there was a Christian yearbook, least likely to ever follow Jesus, I would have written his name on it. I would have written his name because he didn't make me feel good. He made fun of me. He would bully me. And it hurt my feelings. I didn't like it. But the good news isn't just for the people who already deserve it. The good news is for everyone. And I remember years later, the story changed. He and his now wife, then girlfriend, after dealing with years of heroin addiction and plenty of really dark things, found someone who introduced them to this guy named Jesus. And he began to change their life upside down. And they went from being far from God to realizing that God doesn't play favorites, that he just wants to heal people, that he just loves people, that no matter where you've been or what you've done, you can't outrun the grace of God, that he loves every single person. Whether your parents set you up for success or not, you are in the place where God sees you and he says, my good news is for you. I remember this one day at Kent Lake High School when our church met there. I remember I saw him and his wife, who I went to high school with, walking into the doors, coming to church, and I remember having this feeling like, what are you guys doing here? I would hope that we free ourselves from that perspective. That anytime somebody walks in who's not supposed to be here, can I tell you the more not supposed to be here you are, the more you're supposed to be here? That the further you are from God, the nearer God is to you. That when you walk into these doors, everybody is the same. You're dead in your sins, but God can make you alive in Christ. That you're too messed up to deserve God's grace. But God's grace is too messed up to care anything about your messed upness. So he just runs after you and says, I am for you. I'm thankful that I don't deserve the grace of God. But God freely gives it to me. He gives it to me. And he says, Taylor, you may mess up again, but my grace, it's going to outrun your failure. I remember I saw him in there and I saw them this process where now about nine years later they're still in our church they're part of our pastoral care team they're mentoring people he has mentored countless people who 
have come up through drug addiction and rehab and relapses and struggles, and he's mentoring these young men now. They're, they're, they're baptizing people. They're, they're serving and loving, and they're raising their kids in a place that years ago you never would have imagined they'd find themselves in church. But that's the good news, that you could be headed the wrong direction, but good, good news, you don't have to anymore. God is waving you down saying, I've got a better way. I say your school's too dark, guess what? Your light is too bright. Bring it. Stop making excuses. Stop playing down the bigness of the Spirit of God that is on the inside of you. He can use anybody. Number three, we're the ushers. We're the ushers. It says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. I remember one time when I was in high school, I was, I was one of the ushers. Um, I'm a bad usher. I, I back up ushed a few months ago, and I totally failed at it. I'm not good at it. And uh, I remember I, me and this one other guy, Jesse, we had flyers. We were going to hand them out. It was for an event we were doing. It's about a few years ago when I was in high school. And uh, I remember I'm sitting in the back, and I was literally, I remember it vividly. I was shuffling the flyers like their cards and just waiting, you know, kind of twiddling your thumbs kind of thing, shuffling the flyers. And my youth pastor said, hey, flyers are coming down the aisle about this event. I didn't hear it. I was just shuffling the flyers. He says, flyers are coming down. Keep saying it. Flyers are coming down. And finally, I see Taylor, pass down the flyers. And I got up, I was like, oh, shoot, sorry. I was organizing them all. They were out of order. So I was shuffling them. Remember, I got up and I looked like an idiot and started passing them down the aisles. But it's funny because, like I said earlier, we've been entrusted with good news. Or in other words, you've been given a flyer that has information that people need. People needed that information on the flyer. It was also before the days of social media, so they really needed the information on the flyer. And I'm I'm here to tell you that each of you has a stack of flyers in your pocket. And the question for you is not, do you have the flyers? It's, are you sitting on them or are you passing them out? Are you doing what the flyers are designed to be done with? Are you actually using what's been given to you? See, the flyer may look different for each person because some of you are on a football team and others of you are in a debate team and others of you are in drama and others of you have a family that needs your flyer and others of you go to a workplace that needs your flyer. But every single one of you, you and me, we've got a stack of flyers in our pockets. The question is, Are we passing them out or are we shuffling them? Are we sitting on them? Are you sitting on what God's called you to pass out? Next week, we've got Undivided Nights, the biggest night of the year. We'll see hundreds come through here. 
And I believe that we're gonna have one of the greatest nights we've ever had. But it's only gonna hinge on whether we're gonna take the flyers that we've been given with the good news and be audacious enough to say, I'm gonna pass it out whether they like it or not. I'm gonna bring it wherever I go. I'm gonna bring it to my teammates. I'm gonna bring it to my family. I'm gonna bring it to my friends. I'm gonna stop making excuses. I'm gonna pass out what God has given me. Are you sitting on it? Are you passing it out? See, number four is the proof is in the pudding. He goes on to say, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. But then he goes on to say, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. See, this sounds at a surface level like it's a punishment. If you don't believe, you're going to be condemned. But if you read into it, you know that it's more than that. That word condemned means for the result of your decision or lack of decision to be obvious. Say it again. To be condemned is for the result of your decision or lack of decision to be obvious to everyone else. This is what I'm here to say. The proof is in the pudding. Because as much as you can pass out the flyer, the end of the day, you're either following Jesus or you're not. You either have good news or you don't. Some of us, we've been sitting on it too long. Some of us, we've been hiding what we know to be true, which is that God has a call on our lives. And we, we punt it out, we get rid of it because we just don't want to face it. But the proof is in the pudding. It says, whoever believes and is baptized. In other words, whoever believes and shows it, it's going to be obvious to everyone around them. But whoever doesn't, guess what? It will also be obvious to those around them. Friends, I'm not, I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here to say, I know everything about your life. I'm not here to say, I'm gonna see you on one night and judge the whole of your life. I understand that no one is perfect, but here's what I am here to say, is that you judge a tree not by its label. You judge a tree by its fruit. And it's time that we be what we are called to be. And instead of saying, I'm an apple tree, let's produce some apples. Let's actually go out and do what we're called to do. The proof is in the pudding. Would you bow your heads? Close your eyes. I think it's time for us to see our schools see the proof. I think it's time for us to allow our families to see the proof. I think it's time for us to allow our teachers to allow our bosses, to allow our coaches, to allow our youth leaders, to allow our friends, to allow those that we influence to see the proof that it's not just something we profess, it is actually something that we believe. We're showing it by how we live. 
Maybe you'd say today, you know what? I've been sitting on the flyers. I've been shuffling them around. I haven't been giving out what God has called me to give out. Would you just lift your hand all over this room?